0: Welcome to Around the Table, a new source for Christ-centered teaching and conversations from an apostolic Christian perspective. In part two of this series on gender in the church, we start by taking a look at the head covering. Is it a cultural dress code or a spiritual symbol? In addition, as our church embraces gender distinctness, how can we better utilize the gifts of our sisters? This presentation is by elder brother Frank Souder and was originally delivered to the Roanoke Church
1: now move on to the next two subtopics. Utilizing our distinctness and embracing our distinctness. Utilizing our distinctness. How can we better utilize our distinct differences as men and women? Embracing our distinctness. The head covering being a symbol of gender distinction. We as a church have always practiced the head covering as a symbol of gender distinction. And it is out of sync with the world and with Christianity in general And undoubtedly, it creates awkwardness. Across the world, the head covering was practiced by virtually all denominations until the past two generations. It was embraced by the early church. After the Reformation... It was continued to be embraced by Martin Luther, John Calvin, Charles Spurgeon, Matthew Henry, Harry Ironsides, Charles Ryrie, to name a few. In fact, until the 20th century, almost no theologian taught against the head covering. Unfortunately, our current culture has directly linked the head covering concept to the world's view of submission. In other words... The head covering is the sign of oppression and subjection. And that puts you sisters sometimes in a difficult and awkward spot. For example, in the 1960s, the National Organization of Women had a national unveiling. And I say this especially for you younger people because you're not aware of how things were so different just a few generations ago. This is a statement from the National Organization of Women in the 1960s. Because the wearing of the head covering by women at religious services is a symbol of subjection within many churches, now recommends that all chapters undertake an effort to have all women participate in a national unveiling by sending their head coverings to a task force chairman. These veils will be publicly burned to protest the second-class status of women in all churches. I can remember, as a young boy, listening to my parents and grandparents discussing the disappearance of the head covering from one denomination to the next. Just because the world has changed its view in the last couple of generations, should we change our view? Where there is conflict between Scripture and culture, Scripture has to supersede culture and not vice versa. I want to take a look at 1 Corinthians 11. There are details about this passage that are confusing, things that we all don't understand, but the core meaning of this passage is clear. In worship, Paul wants women to wear something on their heads and men not to. While theologians today disagree on how this is to be interpreted in today's culture, they all pretty much agree that this is Paul's position. And the second point I want to make, it's not an obscure passage. Among the New Testament symbols given in Scripture, and there are very few New Testament symbols, There's a lot of Old Testament symbols, but very few in the New Testament. The passage on head coverings is one of the lengthiest passages on symbols and contains multiple supporting statements that Paul provides one after another. And so let's open up our Bibles and we're going to go through 1 Corinthians 11 verse by verse. Paul makes six arguments. The first argument is concerning spiritual headship. This is verse 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Have you ever thought how he organized this? If you and I were to organize a sequence on headship, what would we do? We would put God, son, man, woman. Just a very hierarchy line like that. He doesn't do that. He places the head of the woman is man in the middle. Why does he do that? To show that women are not inferior and men are not superior. We talked about that in the relationship between God and the Father. The relationship between man and women. There's not superiority, inferiority. In a healthy marriage, headship should be imaged in this way. God the Father and Christ are united and equal with the Father leading and Christ responding. If a man treats his wife as though she is below him and not one with him, he images the ancient heresy that Christ is inferior to the Father and not one with him. I want to read that again. If a man treats his wife as though she is below him, and not one with him, he images the ancient heresy that Christ is inferior to the Father and not one with him. If a husband does not lead and his wife's role is identical and interchangeable with the husband's, they image another old heresy which denies any distinction between God the Father and God the Son. Number two, dishonor, public shame, verses 4 through 6. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one, as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Since the beginning of time, it has been a shame for a woman to shave her head in almost any culture. However... Our culture has recently changed, and many women would no longer consider shaving their heads a shame. Therefore, some say the symbol of a head covering is no longer relevant since our culture of shame has changed. Is that a legitimate argument? let's look at how another biblical symbol has been reinterpreted by our culture. The rainbow. The rainbow means something quite different in our society today. So does that mean we as believers abandon the symbol of the rainbow? Likewise, do we abandon the symbol of the head covering? It's a dangerous path to go down. What we need to do is explain the symbol. Number three, creation order, verses seven through nine. <clears throat> for a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Paul does not argue from fall or original sin, but from creation, from the beginning of time, where God emphasized when we read in Genesis 1 that men and women are equal but distinct. When God made man, he created him from dust. He created woman from man. Therefore, man in worship without a head covering is glorying in God. A woman with a head covering in worship is glorying in that God made her from man, but distinct from man. Number four. Because of the angels, verse 10. For this cause ought the women to have power on her head because of the angels. We don't understand this verse completely. But for some reason, angels are impacted. Although we don't understand this verse, does that mean we should abandon it? If anything, this verse tells us that Paul's defense of the head covering is beyond just culture, but it's something heavenly, eternal. Then we come to verses 11 and 12. And Paul just puts this here in the middle, in case we get sidetracked, I think, to think that men and women, that they're inferior, superior, to emphasize that we're equal. Because here in the middle, he brings this point again of quality. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Number five, because of nature itself. Verses 13 through 15. Judging yourselves. Is it calmly that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. Paul uses the word, Doth not even nature itself Because this was the nature that God put into mankind. Now, while women's and men's hair length has changed over time, it is rare to find a culture where men's hair has been traditionally longer than women's hair. This is throughout the centuries until our recent generation. It is interesting to note that Paul's term, doth not nature itself, identifying this is what God puts into us when he made us, is the identical argument that Paul uses in Romans 1 against same-sex relationships. Point number six, church tradition. Paul begins his talk on head covering in verse 2 with church tradition and ends it with church tradition, verse 16. Verse 2 he begins, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I have delivered them to you. When Paul introduces the passage on head coverings, he praises the Corinthian church that it's one tradition that they do well We know later on as he goes through chapter 11, he speaks about things that they don't do well, such as communion. And then he concludes the section on head covering, saying this is a universal church practice. Verse 16 reads, But if any man seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. This can be a hard verse to understand in King James. I will read it in the Amplified Version. Now, if anyone is inclined to be contentious about this, we have no other practice in worship than this, meaning the head covering, nor do the churches of God in general, referring to all the early churches. So what should our response be when a long-standing practice, the head covering, which is one, clearly stated in Scripture, and two, was universally embraced throughout church history, is no longer embraced. Because the last couple of generations of churches within our American and Western societies have abandoned the practice due to current cultural objections Should we follow this same line of reasoning? As I mentioned before, this is a dangerous path to go down. Today, even a greater tenet of Christianity, that of marriage is only between a man and a woman, is being abandoned for the same argument that is used against the head covering. Our culture has changed. So three concluding points from First Corinthians 11. The head covering is a spiritual symbol. It is not a cultural dress code. Number two, Paul clearly wants women to cover their heads in worship and men to remain uncovered. He's passionate about it and gives arguments from every view possible. He argues from creation before sin ever entered the world. He argues from nature, what God has instilled into man from the beginning. He argues from culture. He argues from church tradition. And he argues from the heavenly and the eternal. Point number three, while man has used our current culture to argue against head coverings because of Paul's multifaceted approach, it is difficult for us to say that the head covering is no longer relevant. Move on to topic three better utilizing our gender distinction. At the beginning of the talk, we discussed that men and women are equal before God, but distinct. We also discussed how God designed men, God designed man to lead in the home and in the church. Our church has always embraced this, and I pray we will not yield to culture in removing Male leadership, headship. Once again, headship is not based in superiority or control, but sacrificial love. As Christ, the head of the church, gave gifts to his body, husbands and anybody who's in leadership are to mirror Christ And while we cannot give gifts to others, what we need to do is draw out the gifts that God has given within our family units and within our church. And this is something we need to do a better job within our church. As a church, we need to do a better job of embracing the gifts that sisters bring to the body of Christ. This past January... This was one of the discussions at the Elder Forums. There were several sisters that came and talked. They shared, what is it like to be a sister in the apostolic Christian church? How can leadership be more sensitive and helpful? As men, do we put women in a place that is awkward or uncomfortable? And how can the church better utilize the gifts God has given women? We see Paul speaking of the unique gift of Phoebe in Romans 16. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, for she hath been a sucker of many, helpful to many, and myself also. So there's points I'm going to talk about today, just briefly cover Of ways we can do a better job. Counseling engaged and young married couples. This has traditionally always been done by the elder of the church. This summer, Brother Tom changed the way that is being done. It's being done by couples, husbands and wives. The ministers and wives and several couples from the church are involved going through the ACCF's binder on marriage topics. You know, marriage is bringing a man and woman together. I alone can't speak to that. You as women need to speak and join in on encouraging engaged and young married couples I can't talk. I can't reach the woman's heart in the same way that you sisters can. Another area is dealing with the counseling of women. We ministers and wives have met together several times. At our recent retreat, we learned more about counseling skills, and we see a need to use our wives more. And the help in counseling are women converts and also walking along with our sisters, dealing with issues that us as men aren't equipped to handle. I'll give you some illustrations. When a young woman has been sexually abused, what's her level of comfort of coming to talk to me about it? A male? It's one thing for a young brother to come to me and tell me that he struggles with pornography. But what about a young sister to tell me with her struggles about it? Men's minds and women's minds think differently. And while I may need to know those things, it's a woman that needs to walk alongside, dealing with eating issues, or marriage difficulties. We need to use our women more to walk alongside. In conclusion, I'm thankful that our church throughout its history has held on to the concept of men and women being equal before God, but distinct in their roles. We as a church have not been perfect, but we have held on to the biblical understanding of what submission really means. And I can tell you, where there was misunderstanding of this term, where it was not embraced, I have seen elders go back seeking forgiveness where they have turned their heads on an abusive relationship. And I have also seen individuals removed from leadership when they became domineering. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them. As men and women, We are equal but distinct. May God give us grace to embrace not only our equality, but our God-given distinction in the midst of a culture
0: where distinction is quickly eroding. Thanks for listening. And if you have comments on Around the Table or ideas for future episodes, let us know. In AC Central, go to the Settings menu, select User Feedback, and when the webpage opens, click the Feedback on Around the Table link. Around the Table is a production of Onward Media, a communications ministry of the Apostolic Christian Church of America.